Welcome to listening a new episode of Walk the Talk on sustainability in wine, food, and enogastronomic tourism. My name is Rika Sukula, and in this podcast series, we walk together a path in various sustainability topics, from the environmental hot topics to the social and economic ones. Let's explore together what and how we can act to make more sustainable wines, foodstuffs, and tourism offerings, and how we can make more savvy decisions as consumers. Today I have both a great topic and even a greater guest. He is a professor, lawyer, and a wine producer, Michele Fino, from the University of Gastronomic Sciences in Polenzo, near the Barolo wine production area. I'm a proud alumni of uh, UNISC, so is Gabby, our producer, and so it's a special treat for us to speak with Professor Fino today. He has his vineyards in Saluzzo and his particular interest in, in the Piedmontese mountain wines, uh, the autochthonous wines, varietals from the mountain regions. He has published a really interesting book about Italian wine label legislation together with two other UNISC professors, uh, Gili and Perullo. And today we are at this gorgeous UNISC campus to talk just about that. The Italian POD, or more commonly the DOCG and the DOC disciplines and labels, taking into consideration the aspects of sustainability. What has been done, what is in the process, what the future holds. A very warm welcome, Professor Fino, to the Walk the Talk podcast. You are the most welcome whenever you come back to the campus. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. So we really want to dig in to two specific topics with you today, the labels and the disciplines of Italy from a sustainability point of view. But let's start with what you want to talk about. What would be the most timely or pressing legal or legislative topics in the wine world right now? Is there something new coming, boiling, being agreed upon? Yeah, thank you for the question. Actually, there is a great theme that is at the horizon in this moment, even if maybe it will resolve into nothing new. But there is a huge debate, not just in Italy, but at a European level, that um, regards the labeling under the nutritional point of view of alcoholic beverages. Wine and wine producers tend to think themselves as producers of something that is completely different to any other alcoholic beverage. And this is partially true. As Angelo Gaia always says, winemakers do not put any alcohol into their drink. The content of alcohol depends completely on the quantity of sugar that is in the grapes. Therefore, winemakers only assist a transformation that is natural, led by Saccharomyces cerevisiae, and therefore is not something that is made according to a recipe. Therefore, yes, he assumes to use the same rules in order to label a product that derives in this way from a natural process, like uh, it is a in a way that is completely different to what happens when we talk of liqueurs or uh, drinks into which the recipe uh, determines artificially the quantity of alcohol in the final drink seems to Gaia, and I am almost, uh, I'm almost on the same position under this point of view, something that is not respectful to wine and its history. 
but uh, we can't deny that alcohol is a presence into wine, that uh, its presence is growing due to the climate change. We were used to drink wines between 12 and 13 percent alcohol. In the last years, even in Piemont, wines uh, exceeding 14 percent alcohol have become more and more common. And today we peak in the area of Barbera, like in the Nizza area, easily 16 percent alcohol. This means that we ingest every time we drink a quote of a carcinogenic, for sure carcinogenic, toxic, and this can't be denied, nor can be uh, reduced under words that are uh, just self-satisfying or self-calming, uh, like saying that drinking moderately or responsibly can reduce or annihilate the risk, because this is not possible. Every time you drink wine and every other alcoholic beverage, you are increasing the risk of illnesses related to it, among them cancer. But every time you get out in the sun, you are increasing your risks of getting illnesses related to the radiation of the sun. So the right approach is an approach based on culture and information. Unfortunately, in the field of labeling, we have gone in on a partially different path through the last years. We have gone simplifying and simplifying constantly the information, not asking people to understand the whole frame, but informing people in a very quick and easy way. That seems to be the perfect solution, but at the end of the day, it's not. Because instead of having consumers that get more attentive and more educated, we have consumers that rely on yes or not, green or red light. And this is, in the end of the day, a big damage for the final goal that, in my opinion, should be having consumers that compile their own diet responsibly and decide what extra to their diets out of the needs they have under the nutritional point of view they want to allow themselves to have. That's the case for any refined sugar or the case of alcoholic beverages. We don't need them under the physiological point of view. When we assume them, it's because of a cultural, social uh, reason. And we can also accept the risk of doing that and to live uh, with uh, some risk more, but at the same time enjoying life differently. This is part of our freedom. But the labeling with the Nutri-Score or with the nutritional information on alcoholic beverages not necessarily helps in this direction. Therefore, the debate is on. The debate is huge. Different countries says you just want to skip this because if you think this would harm your business. I'm not completely sure of that because the, the business of cigarettes have not been harmed even by the pictures of lungs with cancer. So... I don't see this as something able to change on a long term the relation. But on the other side, I think of it like a, a possibility to enter the freedom of consumption of the consumers that is not necessarily well balanced with a better protection for their health. That's uh, very insightful and interesting issues that maybe for some wine lovers seem very easy questions, but when, when you dig deep, they are very quite complex issues. For example, 
extracting alcohol away from wine is prohibited from yeah. all European wine laws, mm-hmm. uh, at least uh, today. So Ex- Exceeding a certain amount. Mm-hmm. You can decalculate, but with the limit of uh, one degree percent, and this is not permitted in wines that bear a geographical indication or a designation of origin in many specifications. Therefore, we have always had the contrary problem. In the past, we were forced to find ways to increase the alcoholic level in order to have a better preservation of wine. So conservation was the paramount value. Now we don't have that problem anymore. And there are people suggesting that de-alcoholation of wine could be a good way to solve the problem. But de-alcoholized wines are unbalanced wines because acidity is no more balanced by alcoholic content. And therefore you need other refinement, other interventions. Therefore you have a more artificial product than before. And in this way, you go in in engineering the wine far more than it was in the past. In order to have something balanced that at the end of the day makes poor sense. Drink grape juice in that case. Because letting it fermentate, then subtract the alcohol in order to have something you call wine. But it's no more wine as it is in the tradition that in this continent is at 5,000 years tradition. I don't know if it makes completely sense. No, absolutely. So more of a reason to develop maybe farming practices that uh, can produce that balance again. Let's then talk about the role of the disciplines, the DOC and the DOCG system that is the Italian system or POD as it is generally known in Europe, and the label legislation and label information from the sustainability point of view. I'll probably touch a a couple of little beehives, and I'm really curious to see what you think about things, but um, what, in your opinion, could and should be the next steps to maintain or strengthen Italy's position as a sustainable and responsible producer country. Is there something in your mind that you think that producers collectively are doing or could do, or the Italian, the the Ministry of Agriculture, or what's on your opinion on that? Well, uh, under the sustainable point of view, we must immediately say that we don't have a labeling system of regulations that is very attentive to this aspect. For you have to consider that our labeling rules are the result of layers of rules that have been accumulating for, in some cases, more than 100 years. And no new regulation has completely swept away the previous ones. So we have continuously added layers of regulations over the previous ones. For the fact that sustainability has not been a paramount topic Uh, During no one of these cycles of regulations, we have today regulations that are very weak under this point of view. Information about sustainability can be given as voluntary information on every label. Voluntary information uh, are uh, regulated in the way they can be given, but not uh, in the content they can have. 
So it's up to the producers to decide what they want to say. The important thing is that voluntary information must be clearly distinguished from the mandatory information. And when I say that it's up to the producers, I underline the fact that we are in a territory, meaning uh, the European Union, which is, under this point of view, completely different to the United States. Because in the States, you have a control on the labels previous to the selling of the bottles on the market. So you have FDA checking the label and in some way giving you green light or not for your labels. In Europe, the system is contrary to this. So uh, producers get the responsibility of shaping and writing their labels, but then they sell it on the market. If something is wrong and is found wrong by the authorities, then they are fined, they have to relabel, they have to do the intervention on the labels. It seems under a certain point of view that we are more the land of freedom than the United States under this point of view. We are also a bit more the land of mess under this point of view. Italy has a lot of cards to play in this game for Italy as an advantage for sustainable viticulture. In particular, this is due to the climate reason. Sicily is already today the region that leads in terms of organic production at the European level. Because when you have very few rains concentrated in very short periods during the year, even fronting the pests become a problem that you can cope with easily. When you live in the countries uh, of the northern part of Italy or uh, over the Alps, then you have rains that can come in every, in every period of the year and this continuous uh, presence of humidity allow the pests that for vine are mainly fungi to flourish and therefore uh, your defense in terms of organic defense, not using systemic pesticides, it's definitely harder to be maintained. So Italy has the possibility to cope with the new limits about the use of copper more easily than any other country in Europe. As the possibility of having a viticulture that is largely an organic viticulture, not in every area of the, of the country, but in most of them. Therefore, there are a lot of sustainable practices that can be adopted by producers and therefore communicated in the way I told you before. It's important that consumers know that given this information this is possible with uh, the use of voluntary information, with the certifications that are private certification and can be adopted by the producers as well, uh, because organic certification is the only public certification. But then we have many sustainable agriculture certifications that are provided by independent uh, private uh, associations, and every producer can stick to them and can therefore communicate them through the labels. So we have many opportunities. Sometimes people do not think they can communicate this correctly, or in other cases, people make mistake about what they can communicate safely and decide to communicate things they don't have uh, any possibility to assess, or uh, they decide to communicate things that uh, is impeded or prohibited to communicate. Devoting a bit more to learning what is possible to communicate will probably let people understand they have a lot of possibilities they do not profit of. That, of course, from the sustainability point of view, boils down to 
transparency and traceability. So whatever certification or protocol that a producer decides to use for their sustainability communication, for example, it just has to be open. And that's the reasons why we want to uh, do the Walk the Talk, to show that with transparency and traceability, there are a lot of opportunities of communications as well. The DOC and the DOCG can be a little bit confusing. I often use the example of Barbera, uh, our most uh, planted red variety here in Piedmont, that is rather consumer-friendly from the point of view that it tells you what it is, Barbera, the grape variety, and then where it comes from. We have Barbera d'Asti, Barbera d'Alba, Barbera Nizza, and then another example is that We presume that every wine lover around the world knows that Barolo is 100% Nebbiolo because we're not allowed to write the word Nebbiolo in the label. Can you walk us through when and how did that start happening? Now, Dolcetto di Doliani is no longer Dolcetto di Doliani, it's only Doliani. Ovada, the same. So why is that perceived, maybe in the legislative body, as higher quality, nasconding, hiding this really crucial information from the drinker? Yeah, I think that um, there are a couple of milestones that must be understood and kept in the right place in order to correctly interpret the rules about labeling under this aspect. Actually, Italy has created the current system of uh, indicating the areas that are um, known and reputed for the wine production in a systemic way in the beginning of the 60s. 1963 is our systemic law that uh, creates the system of DOC later enriched with a further category that is DOCG. DOC were, in the mind of legislator, corresponding to the French AOC. So, in France, Appellation d'origine contrôlée, in Italy, Denominazione di origine controllata. That was the very original design. But the Italians, since the very beginning, have decided not to stick to what they have decided to protect. Because (laughs) when you say Denominazione di origine, Origine means the place, the place where you have uh, geographical and human factors that mixing together create the wine, the tradition of it, what you protect through the specification. But since the very beginning, Italians wanted to put into the name of the origin also sometimes the grape. And then they created Barbera d'Alba, Barbera d'Asti, Primitivo di Manduria, Sagrantino di Montefalco and many others. This was the Italian way of adopting this regulation because Italians are good copying the best mates in the class that in this case are, of course, the French. But then want to put something original into their copy, like the guy that copies during a test of math, but in order not to let the professor understand he has copied, introducing some original solutions that are mistakes, and they cost probably a D to him. That's the case of Italians, because in order to introduce this original element of the grape varieties, Italians have been growing with these kind of names, designations of origin, 
including the grey variety. The first DOC approved after the systemic law in 1963 has been Vernaccia di San Gimignano. Vernaccia is the name of the grape. 1966 is the very first one of this round. That is the round of Barolo and Nebbiolo d'Alba and all, most of the Piemontese wines have been uh, protected at that time as DOC and later became DOCG. So first the Italians have made a mess with it. Later they have started recognizing it was a mess. And with the last uh, regulations for the new PDO or for the reform of the old ones, they have been helped by the European Commission that have become the final body to approve PDOs about wine after year 2008. And therefore, since that year, the process do not end anymore at the Italian Minister of Agriculture, where people were kind of easy in accepting name of places, traditional names, names of uh, grapes, and so on, grape varieties. No, in Brussels, they like geography, pure. And therefore, when Nizza applied, Nizza was okay, because it's not Barbera of Nizza, it's not Nizza Barbera, it's Nizza. And when Dogliani asked for the modification, passing from Dolcetto di Dogliani to Dogliani, it was largely appreciated. And when last year the producers of Moscato decided to create a new, tinier DOCG with the name of Canelli, it has been promoted as Canelli. But again, they wanted to leave open the door to the addition of Moscato under Canelli. Well, one week ago, the commission has written back to the promoter telling... Guys, we do not understand. Is it Canelli, the name that is fine? Or do you want to call it Canelli Moscato, that is less fine? So they are helping us in amending this old mistake. That said, about that mistake, that I clearly consider a mistake because you don't ask a producer of champagne to write on the label if it's Meunier 100% or it's Pinot Noir 100% or it's Chardonnay 100%. Except for Blanc de Blanc and Blanc de Noir. Indeed, but you are, this is the information you can be given. It's not mandatory, first. Second, when you want to find this information, it's not in the name of the designation. It's in the a back label, it's on the site, it's on the internet, social pages, and so on. That's the right place for this. Mm -hmm. Because what we have created with that mistake of the name of the grapes into the name of the designations is that today people that have been granted the name of a grape variety into the name of the designation think the name of the grape variety depends on them. It's property of them. And so people that are producers of Herbaluce di Caluso di OCG think that nobody else has the right to quote Herbaluce because it belongs to them. Due to that mistake made in the 60s, so the mistake is productive, but not in good sense, it's in a bad sense. And the producers of Collina Novaresi Bianco, that according to specification must use exclusively Arbaluce di Caluso, are forced to use 100% Arbaluce di Caluso, but if they mention Arbaluce in any material, even on the internet site, they get 4,000 euros fine. So we have a big problem with that. We have to get out from it and we have to allow every producer inform correctly 
the consumers about the grapes that he's using because I agree with you this is a consistent information for the consumers and can be given in a way that is not tricky but it must be guaranteed the possibility of doing that and nobody is allowed anymore to think that the name of a living being that is a grape variety belongs to a category of producers because this is totally fake said this, that is the important part, Italians have kept alive the two categories of DOCG and DOCG, whose distinction is simply that in the case of the G added to DOC, there is a guarantee provided by the state about the amount of bottles from that designation. Due to the total amount of land that is inscribed on the album of the plots from which the grapes can come, the total amount of bottles is evaluated and the total amount of bottles correspond to the exact amount of seals in paper that must be put one on each bottle and these seals bear a number which is progressive and therefore guarantee under the, the seal of the state that that bottle is not uh, one of the anonymous bottles going to multiplicate if the market requires more of this product and at the end of the day that you are buying the value you are promised by the name on the label. In the case of DOC this is not mandatory even if in Piemont most of the DOC have adopted the paper seal also on the DOC wines because they consider it pushing their position on the market, reinforcing their position on the market. Therefore the two categories remain but it's important to clarify for uh, the listeners that DOCG and DOC are both in the category of PDO, according to the European standard, as well as IGT, which in Piemont is not possible to be produced, but uh, is produced in Lombardy, in Veneto, in Tuscany, in Lazio, in Emilia-Romagna, and many other regions of Italy, corresponds to PGI. In the DOC, you have uh, a more strict language. In the PGI product, and therefore in IGT product, as they are called on the labels in Italian, you have weaker limits to the production. Therefore, looser rules. Yeah, looser rules. And uh, you can have also grapes from out the area. You can have not 100% of the grape that appears under the name of the IGT, but just 85%. You can use uh, any new hybrid variety derived from hybridation of European and Asiatic or American varieties in order to have the resistance to pests and so that are not possible to be used at this moment in the PDO when in France they are already admitted in the PDO. Then what I think it would be highly recommendable in Italy too would be to adopt once again what the French did because when they did it and it worked I don't know why we can't copy as we did for making Barolo because we sent people to Burgundy we watched what were they doing we, they came back they taught the others and Barolo was here so the French have created uh, the Vin de France with the possibility of using any grape variety authorized in France therefore you can buy a wine without PDO, without PGI, just Vend de France with the name of the variety expressed on the label. This is great for the, those consumers that want to stick to a great variety because, for instance, they like the spicy notes of Syrah, but they are not interested in buying a, in a, a more expensive wine from a PDO area. 
And this is also a great move in order to have new consumers that are normally younger consumers, which have less money to spend, that in this way can get in contact with the great varieties, define the, the varieties they prefer to taste the wine derived from, and in the end, probably move to more refined taste and PDOs and PGI wines. Yeah, exactly, because becoming a wine lover or a wine drinker is a path. You have to start from somewhere. Your palate is not ready for everything, but the more information you get as a savvy consumer today, you don't buy your clothes anymore without knowing what it's done with, or yeah. you're super sensitive in food yeah. to the origin. Or if you want a, a good quality mozzarella, you know that you uh, want buffalo milk. Indeed. Um, so there is a lot to learn. Of course, one part of the fascination of Italian wines is this casino that it is difficult to understand. So <laughs> there's always something new to learn as well. There is a process how DOC area can become a DOCG, yes. correct? Can you explain what that is? Yeah, typically, uh, or better said, in the frame law, we had the first one in 1963, the second one in 1992, and the current one has been approved in 2016, is what the Italians call the testo unico della vita del vino, into which it is established that you can't create a DOCG from nothing you can evolve from a doc a docg is a smaller area within the borders of a doc that is differentiated from the doc in terms of quality in terms of refineness in terms of reputation therefore the docg canelli will be a tinier part of the bigger moscato dusty docg in other cases you stem from a doc to the level of DOCG, changing the name. And in any case, the DOCG that derives from a DOC must be smaller in terms of territory, higher in terms of what's perceived in indicating quality, therefore more extract, more alcohol, lower yields, eventually longer aging period. Therefore, in this way, we have a process that grants the consumer that when a DOCG is declared is because the area has been already tested as a DOC. It's revealed to be promising to the point of deserving a higher grade. Worth of that yeah. uh, value of perception yeah. of quality. And then it is a minimum 10 years that the DOC has to be existing yeah. before that step can be which yes. in relative terms in wine world 10 years is not a very long period of time yeah but anyway it has to be an established doc from within then a DOCG can stem from. Exactly. Ten years are not a long time in terms of wine, but also because you come from the world of Barolo. In, in ten years, you can just taste five Barolo because the other five are still in the wooden casks aging or uh, to be or bottled, but not yet uh, released on the market. But if you think on the average production of wines, because not only long-term aged uh, Nebbiolos uh, mm. are worth becoming DOCG, ten years are an amount of years that uh, is three times the three vintages you need in order to ask for a DOC. Therefore, you have 10 vintages that you can analyze, that you can taste, and you can use to prove the area is worth the upgrade. Of course, 
it's a lot, it's not, uh, it's hard to say. The decision to promote a DOCG should not be based exclusively on the quality of the product you can issue from the area. This is today easier to be done than in the past. What's really important is to evaluate the marketing strategies and the market contest you are going to put the new product because that's the real the real pity. If the uniqueness yeah. is a true competitive advantage because to launch a new discipline today uh, worldwide yeah. takes a lot of effort. Uh, it's not as easily done as it is said, perhaps, or if Absolutely. it's internal politics uh, that often happens that, okay, we don't want to play with you guys anymore, so we're doing our own discipline. Or, yes. But there are a lot of uh, considerations to be done. Absolutely. What do you think that um, the other sustainability factors from not only environmental, but the social and the economic or governance factors, are they going to be included in the disciplines in the long run, in your opinion? For example, workers' uh, rights, not uh, having uh, black or gray wages, everybody having social security. Those are the social aspects, of course, that are quite universal in agriculture everywhere. Or more the governance, the transparency, for example, of manipulation in the seller, which spoke about in the beginning, about uh, what do we claim in the label. So yeah. uh, do you think that those will be added to the disciplines? Well, the answer, in very shortly said, is no, for different reasons. Different reasons that have a common point. The common point is that uh, starting from the workers and the labor regulations, well, they are mandatory for everybody. Yeah, there's a the different territory. set. Of therefore, rules. yeah, therefore, asking to renew these rules into the discipline of wine makes poor sense because they need to be respected in every aspect of the life of the country when it refers to. Uh, labor. Therefore, to put them into the discipline should sound a bit excessive or redundant, mm -hmm. more correctly, when they have to be respected at every level. Yeah. On the other side, on the side of manipulations and artificial intervention on wine, so art meaning by artificial, not bad, but simply what it means in terms of uh, semiotic. Therefore, mm -hmm. what the man do in order to have a different result in the evolution of the wine. Well, these kind of interventions are already regulated by the regulations at the level of the European Union that rely on the schemes that are updated constantly by the OIV, Organisation Internationale de la Vigne et du Vin. What is admitted in Europe is legal, but is not mandatory. So we have dozens different possible preservatives and, and interventions and technical procedures that we can be using in our cellars, even if we are organically certified producers. But this doesn't mean we have to use these tools, okay? Mm -hmm. So why do I think it should not enter a disciplinare? Because 
deciding to stick to a disciplinare is a free choice of the producers. You can be in the area of Barolo and not making Barolo, but making red wine because you don't want to produce according to the specification and therefore to stick to designation of origin. In this sense, if we allow people to choose what they want to produce, even if they have the plots in an area that has a very important designation of origin, it seems to me not justified logically that we impose people to adopt practices that are chosen among the legal ones. If you put into the designation of the wine, into the disciplinare of the designation, that some practices are forbidden because they are forbidden at the European level, it's redundant. Yeah. If you make a choice among the things that are free to be decided, well, the consortium or uh, the promoters of this modification of the disciplinare are choosing instead of the single producer. And this reduces the possibility of the single producer that for no reason should be impeded adopting the solutions that are offered to him by the legislation. Because in this way, the message that passes is Europe allows to use these practices, but we don't trust them. There is something shady into them, and therefore we decide to avoid some of them. This is not fair. This is another way to market the product in damage of your competitors, in my opinion. So what can be done is, on the contrary, without inserting it into the specification, a great action of the consortia, of the association of producers, in order to auto-regulate the choices they do in the vineyard and into the cellar and submitting them to the same certification body, they submit the designation of origin. So signing a carta of Barolo in order to guarantee that all the producers of Barolo will stay lower than four kilos copper, not the organic ones for which it's controlled, but mm -hmm. all of them. And that all of them renounce to use I don't know, uh, herbicides. herbicides, for instance, and they sign it and they get control for it on a voluntary basis, individually voluntary basis, not as a decision taken at the level of consortium and then dropped down on the head of people. I find this would be far better also in terms of marketing. And uh, demonstrating producers taking the responsibility yes. for the longevity of winemaking here Absolute. in And in, the fertility of soils and directly putting their name under these decisions and not accepting what uh, others have decided for them and in some way, yeah, we are forced to do that. You have no merit when you behave that way. When you decide to behave in a way and you stick to the words you have signed, then it's real merit. That is such a great point. Uh, thank you, Michele, so much. It was an enlightening conversation this afternoon. Now it's time maybe to uh, get an aperitivo, go into the beautiful courtyard of the university. And all the listeners there, stay tuned for the next topic uh, next week. Uh, let us hear your comments and feedback. If there's a topic you'd like us to explore, we'll find an interesting expert and uh, hear from them for you. Michele, how sustainable was your last glass of wine and how do you know it? Ah, my last glass of wine was yesterday evening, the first bottle of 2019 uh, red uh, Colina Saluzzesi I've been producing. That is my very first organic certified wine. Oh, bravo. Yeah, it was good. 
uh, I wouldn't say anything else about the quality of it, but it was good. And it was a pleasure to see that we could do it because when we decided to, to apply to the organic certification, it was in 2014, not exactly the best year to start with that in <laughs> Piemont, the most rainy year ever. But we saw that the practices could be respected and the result could come in the glass. And since then, we have continued. And for the next year, we expect to have 80% of the production certified organic. So uh, we are on that track. And we are also happy of the fact that we don't have that much problems with copper limits because we discovered as many organic producers other good uh, helps in managing the pests, like for instance, the extract of orange zest that is very effective as well. And therefore, let's look at the future with this hope because I'm not convinced that in every sector of food and wine production, organic is affordable and uh, more sustainable than conventional uh, production. But when we come to wine, that is something we don't drink because we need it, but for pure pleasure, to know you can produce it, losing sometimes a part of the production, but getting a better balanced relation with the nature around you, it's uh, to me something relevant. So you know that it was sustainable because you made it yourself. Yeah. This is a privilege that not all listeners have, but what we can encourage everybody to do is to learn more, talk to the producers, send them an email or a feedback, uh, ask more questions. That's the way that you know that your glass was sustainable. I would also add that there are many labs independent that with a sum of money, of course, but when you are not pretty sure, bring a bottle or part of it to this lab. They check 450 pesticides principles, and if you have some doubts, and these doubts are worth to be investigated, this is not impossible. People think ah, it's really skyrocketing science to discover these things is not so. No, 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 there's lots we can do. Thanks so much, Michele, have a great day. Thank you so much again. Stay curious and stay on the path of sustainability. Creating a more sustainable lifestyle is easy and starts with the first actions today. It's a path, not a project. This episode of Walk the Talk has been produced by Gabi de Villoutre, edited by sound engineer Vincent Wagner, graphic design by Tuli Bell, and marketing by Johanna Lindholm. You'll find more information on the episode on sukula.com slash podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Lalangetta. We'd love to hear from you, so please get in touch.